Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. What moral duties do we have towards animals? This question has attracted strong opinions down the ages, including from philosophers such as Jeremy Bentham, Arthur Schopenhauer, and Peter Singer. A provocative thinker in the area today is US legal scholar Gary Francione, who argues all sentient beings, humans or non-humans, have the basic right not to be treated as the property of others. For Irish Times Food Month, I'm speaking to Dr. Roger Yates, a lecturer in sociology at UCD, who's also a vegan and an activist, about Francione's idea and whether it stands up to scrutiny. I started by asking Roger what he thought were the key ethical issues surrounding food. The main issue is the fact that uh, we often kill in order to, to eat. Um, a lot of people don't realise that dairy and eggs also involve a lot of killing, you know, in the sense that um, the, the dairy cow is made pregnant and then we, we take away the calf because we want the, the milk. In terms of um, eggs, there are two strains of chickens. One is so-called laying chicken, another one is broiler chicken, which are the meat ones. And so the, ma- the males of the egg-laying egg, uh, strain, they, they just get killed, you know. So um, there is a lot of morality in, in that sense. Um, pe- people tend not to think. Uh, and obviously, one interesting thing for from, from me as a sociologist is the fact that people buy into the disconnect you know in, in other words they don't tend to see the animal on the plate they see meat you know and there's a lot of argument about um, the names you know we, we, we use things like beef and pork you know we, we, we don't say this is a piece of cow although you do get leg of lamb so there's, there's a bit of ambiguity there but it's, it's an interesting one but in in general terms i would say that people probably don't tend to think that their food choices is a moral matter and in terms of the justification or the, the backing for the animal rights um, activists and the movement, what, what theories or what are, is the main uh, principles they're leaning on? This notion of animal welfare versus animal rights, you might explain that. Yeah, uh, the, the easiest way to th- um, talk about that would be that animal welfare is about the treatment of other animals, whereas animal rights is about the use. And so the idea of animal welfare would be to, be, to be look at you know, how systems of use treat them and to try and improve that whereas animal rights would be a critique of use in the first place you know across the board i mean people often bristle at the notion of extending rights to animals or they resist that that notion can you apply human rights if you like to non-humans yeah well it's an interesting thing um i mentioned this in my phd animal rights is an extensionist idea and and in in some senses rights have have extended out uh, from a kind of core, you know, white men, if you like, and, th- and then obviously you've got women's rights and uh, other types of rights. So um, our argument would be that, that it is, but also people need to realise that animal rights is a modest idea. So we're only talking about a very limited amount of rights. Um, some people would talk about the right to life, and maybe things like bodily integrity. Gary Francione would talk about the right not to be property as the one right that, that is needed. So it's a very modest idea. It's based on, on what's called negative rights rather than positive rights. So it's, um, it's, it's almost like the animal's rights would create a duty within humans. And in, and in fact, uh, in many senses, animal rights is about human behavior and, and human attitudes as opposed to, uh, to animals in, in, a, in a way. And um, it would limit what we could do, but it is a v- very kind of modest idea. 
And how important is sentience then within that? Are we talking about only sentient beings that these rights apply to? Yeah, that's an, that's an interesting question in the sense that um, sentiency is the criteria that is used at the moment within animal eth ethics. There's another idea called subject of, uh, of a life, which is uh, associated with uh, Tom Reagan. Um, and then the question always gets asked is kind of, well, who's sentient and who's not? You know, and uh, again, Reagan would say, well, you know, there is some line drawing involved, but he, he says, well, we should we should draw in pencil because it's going to move. You know, so as our knowledge gets gets more, you know, then different creatures will kind of move in and out, as it were. You know, there's lots of talk about well, what about oysters? What about insects? You know, these have always been the kind of questions that those those kind of. Um, uh, issues on the kind of periphery, if you like. There's a kind of grey area which is acknowledged within the theory. Yeah, and, and Francione, you mentioned, has this powerful idea of, of all sentient beings not being, uh, shouldn't be treated as the property of others. What's he getting at there? Well, he's really talking about, I guess, uh, ultimately talking about power relations in, in the sense that um, if you've got a contest between um, someone who is the owner of someone else and then the, the, other, the other who is owned, then you've got an imbalance straight away. So sociologically, I would see that as, um, as a kind of power relation. Um, Francione is a, a legal scholar, so he, he would try and you know, give an analogy of, of in a court case, you know, the, the sense that the, the court would have to balance the interests of an owner versus the owned, you know, the, you know, and being a piece of property, an item of property, puts you in a, in a kind of disadvantaged situ situation. So, you know, he, he thinks that um, the liberation of their animals would be greatly assisted by just that one right being recognised. Uh, he also talks about mo the moral schizophrenia of people when it yeah, approaches... claim that one, yes. <laughs> uh, again, uh, maybe it's a bit of rhetoric rather than, rather than you know, he's talking about a, a clinical diagnosis here, but what's, what's he getting at there again? And, and ca can you see that, in a sense, in Ireland, there's all sorts of mixed views and, and kind of confused attitudes sometimes towards animals? Yeah, it's, it, actually, it's a bit more complicated uh, in a way because... Um, in the, in the animal movement, you often get this thing about, well, why do you pet one and eat the other? And that's, that's the, the idea of moral schizophrenia, that the fact that we, have a, we, we, we place other animals uh, in a, on a different moral status. And so we would include um, companion animals or pets as family members, essentially. And then th there's others that we, we just eat. And um, one way we would do that is that we will get to know our, our pets as individuals and give them names. Whereas you tend not to do that with the animals that you eat, that you know they, they're given numbers. Um, it, you know you, you only ever meet them when they're in bits and they're dead already. You know, so you don't. You, it, people tend not to, as it were, know the animals that they eat. But sociologically, this idea is quite weak in the sense that um, if you look at it from a functional point of view, if you say to people, "Well, why do you eat this one and pet that one?" People say, "Well, that's what they're for." You know. That, that, that's what a pet is for, you know, we, we, we have them as companions, whereas these ones are bred for food. So from a functional point of view, that question actually can be answered fairly easily. Do you encounter certain resistances to this notion of equality or of uh, animal rights when you talk about it? Yeah, one of the things that uh, people adhere to really is the strength of the species barrier. It's one of the things that I looked at in my PhD. And in fact, um, with the depersonalization processes and the dehumanization processes, if you conceptually throw a human being over the species barrier, then they're in a great deal of danger because the moral status of being on our side is elevated. And, and if you throw them over, then they're, they're in danger, you know. Um, I was talking at a school um, last week 
and there's still some resistance even to the idea that we are biological animals. You know, we don't self-identify as animals. In fact, we tend to use that as, a, as an in insult. If you call somebody an animal, you're usually insulting them. And we don't self-identify as mammals, which is quite interesting within the vegan argument uh, because um, people don't realize, for example, that cows need to be pregnant before they lactate and this kind of stuff, even though this is a, a kind of basic mammalian uh, thing. And we certainly don't self-identify as apes which is what we are you know if somebody came along to you and said you know you're just a big ape you should say yeah i know but it, we, we don't you know it's it's socially constructed as an insult uh, because we we have that moral divide between human beings and animals whereas actual fact we are animals we are human animals and does that come do you think to some degree from the sort of religious uh, influence or a, a kind of a christian tradition possibly yeah, it, could, it could do um in it, it well there's two there's two planks to that really when i talked to my phd i talked about uh, the three planks of speciesism uh, which was religion theology and everyday social practice and that that divide is definitely within the philosophy uh, but in particular in, in the religious uh, writings as well in in the sense that there's there's this you know um, man in the, you know, in the image of God, and e everything else is it in service, you know. So, so there is that divide there. Yeah. Finally, I mean, you've been a vegan since 1979. Um, what would you say if someone asked you? Well, maybe they're two separate questions. What's the most ethical dish one could eat, and what's the the tastiest or your favourite dish? Well, the ethical thing is a, is, a, is a problem, actually. It's a, it's a very difficult thing. You know, if you think about food miles and in the environmental impact, it's, it's actually very difficult to, to, to actually put your, your, your finger on that. Even, even this, this idea of kind of uh, localism, you know, the, the idea that if you buy locally, it's, it's automatically more ethical. Well, well, that can be called into question as well. Um, so that question is actually quite a complicated one. Um, in terms of my own favourites, um, my partner is uh, Japanese, so um, one, one of the dishes that we have is called Mapo Tofu, which is um, made from tofu, obviously, and, it, and it's, it's with, with um, kind of oriental spices, if you like, and that's really, that's really good. And the best way to eat that is with a little bowl of rice and then maybe one or two separate soups as well. So, you know, then you can kind of mix and match. It's really good. Roger Yates, thank you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.